Questions to the Prime Minister. Roger Berry. Number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, so before listing my engagements, I know the whole House will join with me in sending our condolences to the families of Lieutenant Tom Mildenhall and Lance Corporal Paul Farrelly, who were ki sadly killed in Iraq last week. They were doing a vital job for their country and the security of the wider world, and we should be proud of them. Mr Speaker, so this morning I'm meeting some ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. Roger Berry. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will wish to be associated with the Prime Minister's remarks. Um, my right honourable friend will be aware that there are political groups in the European Parliament um, that are opposed to women standing for election, that are homophobic, and that wish to ban bicycle riding on Sundays. <laughs> will, um, will he undertake to keep this government within the mainstream of European politics rather than on the extreme right-wing fringe where the opposition would like to put us. I could tell my honourable friend that it would be a gross error of judgment and leadership to leave the mainstream groupings in Europe. And that would be because it would marginalise the party in Europe. If they were ever to be the government, it would marginalise the government. And if one wants any proof of that, on the Conservative Party website, they are boasting of the role played by one of their spokesmen in the Services Directive as a spokesman for the European People's Party, but now they want to leave it. So I suggest the Right Honourable Gentleman shows some leadership and ditches that policy as well. Can I, can I add my tribute to the soldiers? Can I add my tribute, and those are my honourable friends, to the soldiers who died in Iraq serving their country? And can I also add a tribute to the camera crew who also uh, lost their lives in Iraq? In the last week, we've discovered that in each of the last two years, almost two million households have been overpaid tax credits by two billion pounds. Some of the poorest households in Britain are now having that money painfully clawed back. The Treasury Select Committee says the department was incompetent. Can the Prime Minister tell us which member of the Cabinet is responsible for this piece of incompetence? Let me just point out to him that tax credits provide support to some 20 million people in this country including 6 million families and 10 million children. They are responsible for lifting 700,000 children out of poverty, 2 million pensioners out of acute hardship, and this government is proud of the role that tax credits are playing in alleviating poverty in our country. The Chancellor is responsible, and it's come to a pretty pass when the Prime Minister can't even bear to say his name. The Citizens Advice Bureau says the Chancellor's system has left, left families in severe hardship. They say the number of people coming to help has not dropped. The Right Honourable Member for Birkenhead, who was the first welfare reform minister in this government, says the Chancellor's approach is like attempting keyhole surgery with a hacksaw. <laughs> what is the Prime Minister going to do to ensure that the Chancellor takes responsibility and sorts out this mess? Yeah. 
with the greatest respect to the right honourable gentleman, let me just point out to him what tax credits have enabled us to do. We have two, yes, we have two million more people at work in this country. That is in part not just because of the minimum wage that he opposed, but because of the Working Families Tax Credit that makes, makes work pay for people. And let me also tell him this, that as a result of the Children's Tax Credit, we have been able to give help to millions of families in this country. Those are families let down by Tory years of boom and bust economics, high unemployment and poverty, which is why we made the change and are proud of it. But all of our surgeries are full of cases of the victims of incompetence. Yes! Here's incompetence. Now, the Chancellor designed and administered the tax credit system, yet he hasn't made a single statement on tax credits in the last year. He hasn't answered a single oral question in the House of Commons in the last year. Yesterday, yesterday the Prime Minister said that ministers shouldn't just blame officials when things go wrong. And I agree with that. But isn't the Chancellor's behaviour just typical of this government? Ministers create a massive bureaucracy that becomes a painful paper chase for hard-working families. So why do they refuse to take responsibility when it all goes wrong? He talks about families coming to his constituency and other constituencies. We remember when families used to come to our constituency surgeries with 10 or 15% interest rates, kids who couldn't get jobs for years, families with kids living in poverty and nothing done about it. Yes, it is true. Tax credits have helped millions of families in this country. The problems that are there will be dealt with, but we are glad. We are glad that under this government, families have not just got a stable economy, but a government that backs children and families, helps them out of poverty, into work and into a decent standard of living. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister indicated that the nuclear energy option is back on the agenda for policy review. Will the Prime Minister be aware and recognise that many of us, particularly the east coast of Ireland, are totally opposed to the expansion of nuclear energy because of our experiences from the output and the outfall and the discharges from Sellafield? And what, what cognizance, what weight would he give to the opinion of the people of Northern Ireland and to the opinion of the people of the Republic of Ireland who are going to be affected if that policy is pursued. Of course we will give full weight to it, which is one of the reasons why we have reduced um, discharges into it, it, um, considerably over the past few years. But I would make this point to, to my honourable friend. It's not about an expansion of nuclear power. The fact is, over the next 15 or 20 years, we are going to lose that 20% of our electricity presently generated by nuclear power. And it is also in the interests of people in Northern Ireland and in the whole of the United Kingdom that we have secure supplies of energy for the future. Therefore, we need a balanced energy policy. But let me also say to him that a major component of that will be additional renewable energy and a big push on energy efficiency. But I have to say my own view is we need a mix of all these things if we're to safeguard the future of the country. Sir Mingus Campbell, may I begin? May I begin by associating my honourable and right honourable friends with the expressions of sympathy and condolence for those who have died in Iraq uh, 
these are events which happen too often on the occasion of these proceedings. May I ask the Prime Minister this? Can he confirm that the United Kingdom has given no logistical support for rendition to the CIA, nor provided any information to be used in torture? We have said absolutely all we have to say on this. There is nothing more to add to it. And I have to say the Council of Europe report adds absolutely nothing new, whatever, to the information we have. I think the Prime Minister might find careful reading of the Council of Europe report particularly rewarding because the Council of Europe report says that rendition involves disappearances, it involves secret detention, it involves unlawful transfers to countries that practice torture. On the 7th of December, the Prime Minister told the House that he fully endorsed rendition. Does he still do so now? I think what I actually said was that rendition had been the policy of the American government for a long period of time, including under the last administration as well as this administration. We have kept Parliament informed of all the requests we're aware of, four in 1998, two of which were granted, two declined. As for the rest of what is in the Council of Europe report, it concerns other countries, and obviously I'm not in a position to speak about them. Judy Malabar. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, last year, the Derbyshire Asbestos Support Team helped nine people in Amber Valley suffering from asbestos-related diseases, and two have since died from mesothelioma. Will my right honourable friend discuss with his Cabinet colleagues whether the excellent compensation bill to be discussed in this House tomorrow can be amended to reverse the appalling House of Lords Barker judgment, which will deny justice and compensation to many suffering from this long drawn out disease? Yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, I should say I, I totally understand uh, my honourable friend's concern. As I think I said um, a short time ago in the House, we are looking at this very carefully in the context of the legislation she describes, and I hope we will be in a position to make an announcement shortly. John Herming. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, if I can start by declaring an interest, uh, along with the Governor of California and possibly one or two other members of this House, I have a body mass index over 30. Uh, the, a growing number of primary care trusts are refusing to put patients on waiting lists unless they have a body mass index under 30, and that is to save money, reduce deficits, and ration health care. Does the Prime Minister believe this is an acceptable way of rationing access to health care? Well, I can tell the Honourable Gentleman about the waiting times in his particular area is that the number of... The number of people, he's talking about people put on waiting lists. The fact is the number of people waiting more than six months for inpatient for treatment was 5,000 when we came to power. It's zero today. And what is more, inpatients are being treated more quickly as well. So under this government, we're investing more and the National Health Service is getting better. My right honourable friend knows the joys uh, of family life. He also knows that this Saturday it's National Infertility Day. He is aware that thousands of couples remain childless and they desperately hope to access the medical intervention of IVF in the hope that this could give them that precious gift, a child. 
I would ask my, honourable, my right honourable friend if he will restate his commitment that he made on February 2004 that every infertile couple should be given one NHS IVF treatment. And will he join me in condemning the 25% of PCTs who deny access to IVF and others who claim it is only available to, them, to couples over 30 when the intervention process is seriously dysfunctional. Oh, say to my honourable friend that we are working with the leading voluntary organisation of fertility patients, which is the Infertility Network UK, to help them in their relationship with the primary care trust to make sure that their voice is heard. I mean, ultimately, these are decisions for the primary care trust, but we do believe it is very important that the cycle of treatment is made available to people. It is something which is obviously agonising for the families involved, and that is one of the reasons why we asked NICE for their report into it, which was published last December, and we'll do all we can to take it forward. David Callum. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Fatal stabbings are up by almost one-fifth over the last eight years and now represent almost one-third of all recorded killings. Six months ago, the Labour Party voted against our proposal to raise the sentence for carrying a knife. Will the Prime Minister now confirm that he'll support a tougher sentence and will he tell us when it will be introduced to this House? As I think the Home Secretary has already made clear, we will look carefully at whether we need to toughen the minimum standard for sentences for those who are in, in illegal possession of a knife. Uh, there are, as my right honourable friend explained when this was debated, issues to do with this uh, about whether it's going to be possible to do this in a way that is, is, is sensible. However, I totally agree that knife crime is extremely serious. It's the, the reason why we have extended the number of types of knives that are made now, um, that are banned now under the legislation, and why we are making sure, for example, in the sentencing guidelines, that sentences are tough for those who are carrying knives. But in December 2004, on ITV's This Morning, the Prime Minister said he would look at toughening sentences for carrying knives. Why did nothing happen then? A lot has happened, because in relation to... Well, if I, if I can just explain what actually has happened. Uh, as a result of the introduction of the legislation, if a knife is listed as an offensive weapon, the maximum penalty for carrying it is four years. Since 1997, we've added stealth knives, disguised knives, and batons to the offensive weapons list. We're raising the minimum age at which a person can buy a knife from 16 to 18, and there's a new offence of using someone to mind a weapon, and there's also now extra powers, along with extra resources, for head teachers to search pupils for weapons. In addition to that, of course, there was the national knife amnesty that took place a short time ago. Now, I will look at whether we have to increase the minimum sentences. As I say, there are issues which were explained in detail when this was last debated. But in principle, of course, we want to make sure that anybody who is found in illegal possession of a, a knife is subject to the toughest penalties possible. And I would just point out to the House that in respect of firearms, of course, we introduced a mandatory minimum five-year sentence that's now in operation. Graham Stringer. Uh, at about the same time that Kayan Prince was being murdered by a knife, a head teacher at a school in my constituency was being forced by the independent uh, appeals panel to take a boy back into school. The boy had been found in possession of a knife. Uh, he had been found guilty of violent conduct. Understandably, the head teacher is angry and in despair at this perverse judgment. Yeah. 
of the Appeals Panel. Will my right honourable friend look into this individual case with a view to changing the procedures so that such a perverse judgment can't be made again? Well, I certainly will. I mean, it, it seems a, a quite extraordinary decision to come to. I mean, these are the decisions, of course, that are made by um, people locally, but I will certainly look into the point that he raises. Andrew Mackay. Yeah. In uh, light of uh, yesterday's report from the Lord Science and Technology Committee, would the Prime Minister now accept that my constituents are absolutely right in believing that the huge number of extra homes being foisted on the South East by the Deputy Prime Minister are going to make the current water crisis yeah. even worse? No, they're not, because the, there is provision for the additional homes that are to be built to have the proper water supply, and we work carefully with Ofwat and with the water companies to achieve it. But I just have to say to honourable members opposite, that it's all very well for him and some of his colleagues to say he's against the building of new homes. Let me read to him what the Shadow Chancellor said just a few days ago when addressing something called Property Week, which I suppose are the property developers. He said this, we should increase the supply of affordable new homes. We should see if we can make new land available for development, and we should demand that developments do not simply bank it, but bring it forward for building. So I think there's a slight instance of the honourable gentleman saying one thing and the right honourable gentleman saying another. Mr Speaker, as you are aware, because of your generous support, the 100 members from all parts of this House will be taking part in the Westminster Mile for sports relief in the next hour or so, to be started by Roger Bannister. Can I ask my right honourable friend if he will pass on his congratulations to sports relief for this work and the projects that they do? Will he commit himself to taking part like he did in 2004? But most importantly, will he put at the heart of this government's approach tackling poverty both at home and abroad to make Make sure that in the future projects like sport relief aren't needed because we have the means, the technology, we just need the political will now to tackle the worst causes of poverty across this globe. Well, um, I am actually taking part in this, uh, in, the, in this mile run in aid of sport relief and my honourable friend is absolutely right in saying it's important. Um, my briefing here says that I understand that over 100 honourable members have signed up to run. And it goes on to say, I hope the sight of MPs in their running gear will encourage all people to participate in this run. <laughs> I think that may be slightly sanguine, but um, nonetheless, it's an absolutely uh, excellent idea. And Sport Relief, of course, does huge work right across the globe to relieve poverty. Every year, hundreds, possibly thousands of people, including young children, are brought into this country under the cruel practice of human trafficking. This is modern-day slavery. What measures does the Prime Minister have in mind to ensure that this barbaric practice is put to an end, both here and abroad? The most important thing is to work with the new serious and organised crime agency that's got a specific remit, along with the intelligence services, to try and track down those people who engage in people trafficking. He's absolutely right in describing it as a problem, but the only way of resolving it is the measures that we've introduced, which will allow us to seize the assets of people engaged in this trade, and I hope when we come forward with new measures, which we will do in the autumn, specifically to tackle organised crime 
extent which people trafficking is a part, his party will support those measures. Because I have to say the last time we introduced such measures, well, I'm afraid they didn't support them. So I think it's important the next time we do that they do. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I wonder if my right honourable friend uh, agrees with me the concerns that not just myself but many of us have about the increase and potential increase of counterfeit drugs in this country. Uh, there are over 2,400 sites on the internet selling drugs, which experts believe 80% are counterfeit. A man was jailed last year who had in his kitchen a lab that produced a million drugs, could produce a million drugs a day. And two weeks ago, in my constituency, two people were arrested for, for chemicals that could produce a rape, a deep rape drug. Does he share our concerns? I do, and uh, what's more, he's, he's quite right in saying that this is not just a, a problem here; it's a global problem, and we are working closely with the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, working with industry and other key stakeholders and international counterparts to combat the threat of counterfeit medicines. So I can assure him we take it very seriously indeed. The Prime Minister may have seen the remarks by his colleague, the Labour Mayor of London, that Crossrail is necessary for Scotland to live the lifestyle to which they are accustomed. Isn't this something of a brass neck, considering that this year £12 billion of Scottish oil revenues are enabling the Prime Minister's government to live the style in which they have become accustomed? I think, I think Crossrail is important for London and for the whole country, but I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, the thing that would be disastrous for Scotland, absolutely disastrous, is to separate Scotland from the United Kingdom. That would be devastating for jobs in Scotland, devastating for the economy and devastating for Scottish people, which is probably why he supports it. Jeff Ennis, will my right honourable friend accept my personal gratitude for his swift response to a, a recent meeting I had in his office along with the Honourable Member for Castle Point opposite and representatives from the Association of Children's Hospices uh, in granting an additional £27 million over the next three years to children's hospices. That's fantastic news, but will the Prime Minister give me his reassurance that this Government will continue to discuss and engage with the Association of Children's Hospices, not just in the short term, but in the medium and long term, on children's palliative care? Well, first of all, can I uh, congratulate my honourable friend and indeed the honourable member for Castle Point and, and others who made their case in an extremely persuasive way along with the children's hospice movement. And we're pleased that we've been able to find this £27 million over the next three years. But he is right, and this point was impressed on me very, very strongly, that we need also to review the long-term arrangements for the way hospices are funded. And that is a review that will now take place, and we will work closely with the children's hospice movement, with others, including my honourable friend, to get the right solution to it. As the uh, Prime Minister has already indicated, he rightly seeks to secure the energy uh, security of the UK in the future. In this context, I wonder if uh, once or even before the Energy Review has published its findings, he'd lead a delegation led by the Centre for Alternative Technology to discuss how Wales could address its energy needs by entirely sustainable means and without nuclear power. Clearly, uh, such a meeting doesn't commit him to that blueprint, but I do think that the dialogue would contribute towards our shared goal of addressing the looming energy crisis safely and effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that it is important that we 
engage in a dialogue with all those who are interested groups, including the Centre of Alternative Technology. But I know that he will realise that obviously we've got to balance the energy interests of the whole of the United Kingdom together. Michael J. Foster, the, the pensioner credit system has been absolutely brilliant in my constituency of Hastings. More than 5,600 pensioners are now receiving up to £30 a week more than they would have done if the Tories' income support had stayed. But just occasionally, errors are made. When error does occur, would my right honourable friend endorse the sympathetic approach that is usually applied by officials when hardship occurs? It, it is important, of course, particularly when dealing with pensioners, but my, my honourable friend is right, of course, in saying that as a result of the pension credit, there are people who, who, who are literally receiving £40 a week more. The, these are pensioners who, in the winter months, under the previous government, would very often have a situation where they literally had to choose between heating and eating. Now, not merely have they got the winter fuel allowance, but the extra support for energy um, and home insulation. But, of course, the pension credit is one thing that gives literally hundreds of thousands of them a decent standard of living for the first time in their lives. And I think we can be very proud of having introduced it. Alexander. Mr Speaker, is the Prime Minister aware that ending the sale of television licences at post offices, together with ending the post office card account, will cause a catastrophic loss of income for many thousands of post offices, as well as serious inconvenience for many people living in rural areas? Will he agree to meet a delegation of postmasters from the Highlands to discuss how his government can better support post offices rather than undermining them at every turn? Yeah. It's not our intention to undermine them, but obviously as, as technology changes as people's lifestyles change, then it is necessary to, to, to make reforms. And the, and the problem is that we are already um, subsidising our post offices to the tune of hundreds of millions of pounds. And so we've got to look very carefully and plainly at, at how we manage to make ends meet within our public finances at the same time as giving support that is rational and logical to the post offices. And I'm sure the Honourable Gentleman will be able to make his points clearly to the Secretary of State for Scotland. Jim Cunningham. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Can I, I'm sure my Honourable Friends are well as concerned in the West Midlands about manufacturing, but in particular can I also say to my Honourable Friend that uh, in relation to Pergeo, certainly the trade unions appreciated the fact that the government got discussions going. But the problem is that they're not meaningful discussions. The company are not having meaningful discussions in relation to the un trade union's alternative. Can I ask him if he'll have a word with the company's senior executives to start meaningful discussions? I certainly agree that it's important that the company give the, the union's alternative proposal to keep right and open and the most serious consideration, and we will do whatever we can to make sure they do. In the end, this will have to be a commercial decision for the company. I think everyone understands that. Um, but the partnership that has been set up in the area will do its utmost to make sure that if anybody is made redundant as a result of this, then we give them the fullest possible support. But I agree with my honourable friend, it's important that every alternative is considered because to close this plant would, of course, mean difficulty and hardship for many hundreds of families. Derek Conway. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware that there will be a great delight at yesterday's acquittal of the Guardsmen on those charges, but that there will also be, be bewilderment and indeed a degree of shame 
that men with such fine service should have been placed in such a position on such flimsy evidence. Can the Prime Minister imagine what it must be like to be a young soldier in Basra, having to look ahead for bombers and snipers and behind for the Attorney General? That uh, last remark is actually wrong and unfair. I would agree, however, entirely. I'm delighted that the soldiers were acquitted. And I hope the lessons of this are very clearly learnt by the prosecuting authorities. He will know, however, and I hope he will not suggest otherwise, that the decisions to prosecute are entirely separate from government ministers. Trent Simon. Mr Speaker, thanks to the Chancellor's economic miracle... in most of this country, but in some constituencies, like mine, it remains a very, very serious problem. At the heart of the white working class alienation which risks becoming a thematic undercurrent, will he set up a working group now to deal with this scourge? so that these people, our people, know that they have not been forgotten and the miracle has not left them behind. As my honourable friend says, that we, we tackle hard the remaining areas of unemployment in our country. Inner city regeneration is one way, but there is a, something else as well which we are looking at at the moment. In our view, and this is a major point of difference with the party opposite, the New Deal for the unemployed is something we should expand and extend, not close down as the party opposite wish to do. And if we want to tackle unemployment, the New Deal for communities and the New Deal for the unemployed are things that should be deepened and strengthened and not cut back. And in that context, I will certainly look at what my honourable friend says. Angela Watkinson. Prime Minister agreed to discuss with his Secretary of State for Education and Skills the range of inspection grades available to Ofsted teams. They are currently outstanding, good, satisfactory and inadequate. In a recent inspection at Sacred Heart of Mary School in Upminster, which was overall uh, very good, their achievement levels were described as no underperformance in any group and students achieve exceptionally well. The team didn't feel able to describe that as outstanding, and so it was described as good. Does the Prime Minister agree with me there is a huge gulf between outstanding and good, and would he agree to discuss with his Secretary of State the introduction of a very good in between? I'll certainly uh, look at what uh, the Honourable Lady has, has said, but I, I, I think she'll probably understand that in the end it wouldn't be very wise for me or the Secretary of State to make these judgments. It's got to be left to local inspectors, but I'm sure the people in her local school at Sacred Heart at Upminster do a superb job for their children, and I congratulate them on the strong showing they made in the report, but I think it's difficult for me to intervene in the way reports are written. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Salford City Council have been very effective in reducing antisocial behaviour through using ASBOs, joint working and the Together Action Line. However, we still have some problem families who can make other residents' lives in misery. 
Would my right honourable friend tell me when we will be able to take forward the measures to insist on rehabilitation for people evicted as a result of antisocial behaviour so that nuisance neighbours are helped to change their behaviour and not just moved around? Uh, say to my honourable friend that as, as well as, and she's quite right to draw attention to the problems of antisocial behaviour, and as a result of the new powers, of course, drug dealers' homes can be shut down, people can be evicted from them, um, antisocial behaviour orders and dispersal orders have a, a real effect in many, many communities. But we are looking at how we strengthen this still further, in particular to make sure that those that are evicted, if they then receive new tenancies, do so under the strictest possible conditions and restraint, and that we have some system of making sure that if people are moving across different areas, there's some sharing of the information available, because this is a situation in many, many communities, antisocial behaviour is still a huge issue for people. However, where the new powers and resources are being applied, it's making a real difference. And I make it clear again that if the police and local authorities want even further powers to deal with it, we shall give them those powers.